With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe-Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lock-away channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pampers Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Gladys Molina Alt was born in El Salvador during its civil war in the 1980s and was brought to the U.S. as a child. That experience informed her decision to become a lawyer and advocate for migrant children work that has included representing kids in immigration court, juvenile court, and at the highest levels of the system before the Department of Homeland Security and the Office of Refugee Resettlement. Gladys and I dive into her new role as the executive director of the Young Center, her advocacy for a best interest of the child standard for young immigrants facing deportation, and how she does this incredibly emotional and complex work, always mindful of her own trauma. Gladys, thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. Gladys, I want you to take me back, if you are willing, to growing up in El Salvador and what it is that you remember from the first 10 years of your life. Well, the first thought that comes to mind are rivers and nature and dirt. <laughs> I remember... The rain and the smell of adobe walls after the rain. And I also remember men in green uniforms during the war. And I remember helicopters. And I remember seeing dead bodies. I remember going to get tortillas and then just having to stay there for a few hours or the night until the gunfighting stopped so that I can get back to my grandmother's house. And I remember Christmases. I remember the wood oven where my grandma and my aunts would make pan de torta 
November was like the most beautiful and sweet time during the year for me because there was a wind that came and I just remember just like feeling so giddy inside when that wind would come and there would be fogones is what we would call them. Around town, things would be lit up and wood would be burnt. So yeah, it's a mix of the beautiful surroundings where I grew up, family, and a sense of normal life. Food, holidays, and there is this also like traumatic events and sights that I remember that make my heart turn cold, even as I think about it. Mm, Thank you. Thank you for all of that. I wonder, did your parents have a conversation with you? Did they talk with you about the move to the U.S.? Or was it a thing in your memory that just sort of happens? It was a thing that just happened. One of the memories that is so burned into my mind is a month before my fifth birthday. And I'm holding my aunt's hand and my mom is getting in the cabin of a, of a camion a truck, a cargo truck, and she's leaving. And I have some sense that she's going away for a long time to maybe meet my dad in the U.S. And I'm just standing there with my aunt and my older brother. And you know when a kid wants to scream inside? Yes. Now I understand it. Now that I've worked with kids and I've heard their stories, And especially in 2018, when I was working with cases directly with kids that are separated, and I go, that is family separation. That's what it is. It strikes me to think of you as that child wanting to scream Mm -hmm. and then thinking about the fact that what you have done professionally is basically screaming on behalf of all of these children who the system is not set up for us to center their voices or to prioritize their voices. Do you remember the moment or the series of moments where in your own mind, you connected the dot between your lived experience as a child migrant and the desire to advocate on behalf of other children who are going through the same experience? Yes, I think it started not so much from that memory, but about what I was living. I was living undocumented because I got here when I got to Long Beach, to LA County, when I was 10. But then I didn't get my green card until I was like 21 years old. So it was in that decade between 10 and 20 years old. And this was, you know, the 90s when Pete Wilson was trying to past Prop 187 when I was a freshman in high school. And it was from that present experience of I'm undocumented. My parents don't know how to read or write. They don't know how to fill out applications. They don't know what to make sense of this paperwork coming from immigration service that I was like, oh my God, I need to become a lawyer, understand this so I can help my parents. So it was from that experience that I was like, I don't like this. I don't like not knowing and I want to be able to do something. I think it was from that. Then it sort of worked backwards to where I began to see the experience of children, of family separation. And so it has been the work that has helped me in many ways dig the layers of my own experience. 
When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. 2005, you begin working with immigrant children as a law clerk for Catholic Charities in LA, then law school, a staff attorney for the South Texas Pro Bono Asylum Representation Project in the Rio Grande Valley. 2008, you join Kids in Need of Defense, which I think most of us know as KIND in LA. 2011, you move to Phoenix to serve as a managing attorney for the Florence Immigrant and Refugee Rights Project. What is the calculus that is going into each of those moves? Because those are big moves. It was, how do I get to do this work and be of service? Where's the need? Literally, I've always been driven by like, where am I needed? So at that time, Texas, it was. At that time, very few people knew about unaccompanied children and being detained. When I started working at Catholic Cherries that summer of 05, I remember meeting my first unaccompanied kid in federal custody, in federal detention, if you will, a 14, 15-year-old from Ecuador, a boy. And I remember thinking, oh, I didn't know kids were detained. Like, I didn't know that. And then that led me to South Texas because that's where the jobs were and that's where the majority of kids were detained. And then I went back to LA because when I was working in the Valley, I realized how many kids were going through the system and reaching places like LA without an attorney. And I thought, well, got to go back home and do something there. And then I came out to Arizona after SB 1070 here, because that passed in 2010. And, and I just remember thinking to myself, I'm now 30 years old. I'm now twice the age I was when I was undocumented and going through Prop 187. I'm a lawyer. I can do something. So I've always, I've moved based on where I'm needed, where the work is happening, I guess. And that's how I've made my moves. Gladys, can you paint a picture for us, because I think there's something 
very opaque about this system and what goes into representing children in immigration court and juvenile court. And then what goes into something like representing children before the Departments of Homeland Security and Health and Human Services Office of Refugee Resettlement? Getting to know the kid's story. What has happened to that child? Because it is their past that becomes the tools that I use to craft an argument or to even determine what is the relief, the case that I'm going to put forth in immigration court or in juvenile court. And before I can even get to the child's story, I have to build rapport and trust and get that child to a place where they feel safe enough to feel certain things and to remember certain things. Because with children, it's not like you can press a print button and their story comes out because they have maybe not yet made sense of things that have happened to them or they've been told like, don't say this or don't share this because then you're going to stay in detention longer. So a lot of it is focusing on the child and helping that child get to a place where they feel safe to speak about their past. And it also requires building relationships in the courtroom and with the Department of Homeland Security. One of the very first key lessons I learned as a young lawyer in South Texas was that everybody's trying to do their job, even the law enforcement side, and that It doesn't benefit my client if I antagonize the other side or if I demonize the other side. Was that where you started, though, or was that a thing you had to learn? I had to learn that. How do you cultivate those relationships with people you might have fundamental disagreements with? So for me, it was very much about how can I get them to see the human side of this system that we're in? And what that required is for me to also show up as a human being towards them. So it it was focusing on the humanity of everyone involved and the child's story and how we all had decision points along the case to make about how that case was going to turn out. I found it interesting in going over your story and your resume that you did spend time on Capitol Hill as a CHCI fellow. You could have become a policy person on Capitol Hill. You could have become a legislator. There are lots of ways to affect change. What did you see that made you realize the law was the place for you? And how did the knowledge you gained during that period where you did have really close proximity to the process inform how you now think about immigration and immigration reform? Mm, That's such a good question. Because I remember vividly that year and thinking to myself, I don't want to spend time trying to land the policy that is going to impact everybody when somebody needs help right now. And so for me, what it came down to is while we figure out how to fix the system and how to get to agreement on a particular policy point, there is somebody right now who is going through deportation proceedings or who is undocumented and they're a senior in high school and they're not going to graduate and they need a social security card so that they can apply for FAFSA or apply to the UC system. They cannot wait for a policy to be agreed upon or passed. That's what pulled me in terms of my skill set, my interest, but also where I found the fire in me. 
There's something I go back to over and over that I learned in college, and I I feel bad because I don't remember the guest lecturer who came in and put this in my mind, but they described public service as having two different components. Think of it as a river that is raging, and there are people at the top who are trying to fill up all the holes in the dam. And those are your macro thinkers. Those are your legislators. Those are your policy people. But then there's an understanding there's always going to be a hole in the dam. And there's always going to be someone who slips through that hole. And there need to be people downriver who can catch each of those individuals who fall through. And they are equally important roles. We need people at the top fixing the dam. And we need people at the bottom of the river catching as many people as they can. But It is critical, I think, for a person who has a heart of service to figure out where they are meant to be. Yes. And as you say that, it moves me because I remember, I remember June of 1990 and flying in because my dad brought me on a fake visa. He was supposed to be my padrino on that flight. I wasn't his daughter, but that's how I got to LA. And I remember flying into LAX and it was nighttime and I saw the vastness of the city and lights and my legs were dangling on the seat because I'm short. And I remember thinking to myself, who am I going to be in this place? And wanting to answer that question, little did I know that I would end up being a lawyer advocating for kids in that very circumstance that I was sitting in at that time, landing in a new place. And to me, that has always felt like a calling and almost like this abiding duty to do for others what I've needed myself. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the LA area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. In 2016, you joined the Young Center for Immigrant Children's Rights, leading the Child Advocate Program and its work to advance the best interests of the child standard for immigrant children facing deportation proceedings in this country. What do you believe that standard should be, and how is that standard different than what we have now? There is a standard of best interest that has come to have a negative connotation in certain spaces in the law, the Young Center is mindful of that context and that space about how best interest has been used sometimes within systems to separate or remove children from their families, particularly children of color. And so when we talk about best interest in the Young Center, we talk about it being child-centered interest and including the child's voice and wishes into that analysis. So oftentimes we think about what does the child want and where is the safety line for that child? And often those are the two big things that we look at. And then we look at identity and we look at the development of that child and how we go about presenting 
our recommendations or our determinations and what is in the child's best interest. So for us, it boils down to how does the child get centered into that analysis rather than what are the judgments of society or the prejudicial factors that sometimes have been factored into that analysis in the past. Gladys, you referenced this in passing, but I want to I want to sort of frame it a different way, which is this is hard work. This is emotional work. This is work that is hard not to take home with you. And I imagine that is doubly so if you have the lived experience of some of the children that you represent. And so I wonder both the work you have done to address, unpack your own trauma, to make sure that the work does not re-traumatize you, and to make sure that you are taking care of yourself and living a life that is separate from this work so that then you are able to return to the work renewed and sustained. For me, when I think of that question, the kid's strength and resilience somehow holds me to just seeing that, right? And I think, wow, look at what they've gone through and how they're still able to smile and trust and feel joy. To me, that fills me. Um, my family, just seeing the sacrifices my parents have made and how far we've come as a family and knowing that in many ways, I am lucky that I get to do this work because of the opportunities that I had. So I go back to this spirit of gratitude, gratitude for the kids and what they teach me and share with me, gratitude for my family and where we've come along. And also my coworkers, they often hold me up. They're the ones that when I feel confused, beaten, or like, I don't know how I'm going to show up another day to work. I see how they keep showing up and that uplifts me. And then there's the larger community of people who believe in this, like people like you that produce things that uplift me because of somebody else's story, right? Or something that I read that reminds me that we all go through spaces like this in different industries in the world and in different jobs but that the human spirit can thrive, that we can make it. So to, I lean on those things. I lean into the spirit of the kids, family, co-workers, and the larger community. And the Latina community for me is one of those circles. Gladys, I am so grateful for your time. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Paulina Velasco is our producer. Cochin Tashiro is our lead producer. Trent Lightburn mixed this episode. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram or tweet us at Latina to Latina. Check out our merchandise at latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you're listening right now. Every time you share the podcast, every time you leave a review, you help us to grow as a community. El 
little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.